This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. But is it really? Many people find this time of year to be the most difficult time of the year. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about that here tonight on the Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate everyone about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath, the registered nurse, a sexual health educator, author of the book Sex and Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other, researcher, blogger, clinician, TEDx speaker, and your resource to help start that conversation, answer your questions, and help you discover new and exciting things about love, sex, relationships, your body, and of course, your health. I make no innuendos, no judgments, and certainly no apologies, just fearless, straight up sex talk. Let's hope for you it will be illuminating, educational, get you thinking outside of the box and have a little fun while you're at it. So thanks so much for being here with me tonight. Always appreciate that. There's an aspect of sexual health, however, I'd like to mention that is dark and that is sexual abuse, any unwanted sexual advances, pedophilia and rape. And of course, for those of you who have been sexually abused, you are never far from my heart. Some of the information on this program may be a trigger for you. I wish you all the best on your healing journey. Please put the kitties to bed, grab your wine, your lover, or just yourself, and do join me. Welcome to the show if it's the first time you're here. Good evening, Amir. How are you? I am good. I got some sleep last night, oh, which is exciting. Sleep for once. is always good. Yeah, yeah. I have no problem sleeping. Knock on wood. <laughs> it's actually kind of nice tonight. being so sleep deprived because when you do get that sleep, it's like the best sleep. It's the in best the sleep. World. It's the best sleep ever. Yeah. And you know what? Sleep is so important for yeah. emotional health, mental health, relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, dealing with life, dealing with this time of year. It's important <laughs> to get. Uh, to get good sleep. Well, I'm glad we've got, uh, you've got some good sleep under your belt. That's fantastic. Yeah, and some energy tonight. Fantastic, because we have lots on the show. Of course, uh, one of my favorite guests, regular health contributor here, Dr. John, John Weisler, is going to be joining us tonight. And we have lots to talk about with Dr. Weisler. We're going to get the latest on, on stents and, uh, and other things related to the heart. One of my favorite organs in the body. <laughs> One of them. Uh, also going to be talking about some new research. Sex talk is, is difficult, especially when parents want to go and have the birds and the bees talk with their children. Mm-hmm. Many, are, many don't do it because it can be so embarrassing. Sex is such a taboo subject, unfortunately. We're trying to change that here, though, Amir, aren't we? Yeah, it's yes. intimidating to think about even. It, it yeah. is, you know, and, and people don't like to think of their children. They feel like if they have the education, that's just going to make them sexually active sooner. There's all sorts of things, but there's some new research out from Harvard that I'm going to review tonight, along with some uh, researches, research as well about the shocking impact of watching porn, and this mm. just might make you turn that screen off after you hear about this. <laughs> Sometimes you have to prescribe porn, and other times you have to say, no, no. And uh, this was very interesting. Also, we have so many men uh, that are being outed, uh, especially in the States. There doesn't seem to be any, um, you know, I know that it is you're innocent until proven guilty, but there doesn't seem to be that requirement given this Me Too campaign. We saw that a little bit with uh, Al Franken. He resigned, sort of, and, Mm -hmm. and apologized a bit. Um, on the uh, the floor of the Senate this week. However, you know, a lot of people are just saying he's the scapegoat for the Democratic Party so the Democrats can say, you know what, we 
we had our sacred cow. We yeah. gave it. We gave somebody up. We we don't believe in this, and so they're, you know, feeling that um, he is taking the heat, taking the yeah. rap for that. Yeah, I've heard that too. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Not all men are bad. Um, so, in fact, most men are good, but we have a lot of men in high-powered positions that are that have been behaving badly, potentially. And I don't want to give anybody a pass either. Um, but there's lots of comments that are made, and you know, but how how bad is too bad? And and you know, sometimes uh, you know, I, I was at a party recently, and this friend of mine had made a few jokes <laughs> too early in the program for me to repeat them. But I said to him, you know, I could charge you. <laughs> He said, I know you could, but you won't. Um, but you know what? Amongst friends, it's fine. And, uh, you know, it, it's okay. And we can't all get uh, so upset, perhaps, about things that happened ages ago just because we want to get on the bandwagon or, you know, you got to be fair in life. And I try to be as fair as possible. Um, but anyway, there are those sexual harassers and they do have particular psychological traits. And I'm going to review that tonight as well. And also sometimes, you know, a lot of guys are probably going to get upset that I say this, but life can be harder for women. You know, there seem to be a lot more that we have to do. Like, I know you guys, you know, uh, shovel the snow twice a year in (laughs) Vancouver, but we're like cleaning the house every day. (laughs) There's a slight difference, but guys will always say that. They're always just like, um, what about the snow shoveling and the lawn mowing that I do? You know, like how much lawn mowing? And and you know what? On a rider mower, lawn mowing is fun. But anyway, cleaning a toilet is never fun. Uh, so, but life is harder for women at times, and especially if you want to become a physician. So I'm going to review why it is harder and some research around um, some of the mental health issues that female physicians face in life. And so what does all this mean? All this means that eventually older women will rule the world. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why as well. Uh, so um, we have lots to look forward to here, ladies. Um, but you know what? What's one of the most important things that you can do in life? It's a certain way you walk. So I'm going to review some interesting research that uh, my guest, Mark Duncan, who is a Ph.D. student at the School of Kinesiology at the University of British Columbia. He's in the studio tonight. And we're going to review some interesting iPhone research that he, uh, that, that he has led recently. Also, of course, I'm going to help you with your sex lives, as usual. And so sometimes people can have some very unhelpful sexual thoughts and feelings. But, you know, oftentimes you have to, you know, repair some other things before you can get back to the bedroom. But if you've done repairs on those other things, like how you feel about yourself and that person that you present to the world and being your best self, then you can go on to uh, dealing with those unhelpful sexual thoughts and feelings. And, you know, part of this has to do with spontaneity and sustaining good energy and giving off good energy and good light out into the world as well. And, you know, I just thought this was interesting. There is a um, woman who got engaged to her chandelier. So (laughs) what do you think that means? (laughs) Um, So I'm going to be talking a little bit about about that. But the best thing is your emails. I love your emails. I've had some fantastic emails. And you know what? Not everybody likes me. <laughs> Go figure. What a shocker. Uh, so I'm going to tell you how who's happy with me and who is not happy with me because feedback is a gift. Honestly, it is a gift. It is. Uh, it allows you to improve. But a lot of people get defensive around feedback, right? Where we're, we don't want to 
admit to our weaknesses. And um, anyway, but we all, you know, we want to be the best person that we can be. And so sometimes feedback is important about that. And even, and I have to take it as well. And, and I have to take it online because of that TEDx talk. And so people just feel free to say whatever they want. They comment about what I was wearing. They comment about my hair, the necklace, everything, things that I said, things that I didn't say. Uh, things that they wanted me to say, and I should have said it a different way. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, lots to talk about. And, so, of course, the emails. Um, there's lots of information in there as well that will probably help you. You might, you know, it might spark something in you. But also I want to say that, for the most part, I have sent everybody the gift that I owe them, except for one fellow who's emailed me from Vancouver General Hospital. And, yes, I'm going to give you that gift <laughs> that you want for your wife. Uh, but I've lost your email. I'm going to find it. If you happen to be listening tonight, just shoot me another email and I will send that over. Um, the other thing is we were at the Canucks game this week. That was fantastic. The oh, one where the Canucks won three zip. Right. That was so great. And uh, there were like 14 of us. We were in a suite. It was fantastic. Wow. Yeah, it was so great. But, you know, one thing I noticed was that a lot of the seats were empty. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, you know, what's that about? So... I, I thought, you know what, there, there are so many kids here in this city that I'm sure would love to go to a hockey game and be, and be inspired by that. So I would just like to, I don't know if, uh, well, I'm definitely going to actually give some tickets out for, you know, a well-deserving kid that might never, ever get a chance to go to a Canucks game awesome. and, um, and, and go with his parent. And so if you know a kid that would benefit from that, just pop me an email at uh, nursetalk at hotmail.com. And uh, depending on what I do, I might either get some tickets. I don't know. I have to look into how to get tickets <laughs> to the Canucks game. Um, but then I was thinking, well, you know, maybe it might. I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. But anyway, nonetheless, send me uh, a story about a little girl, little boy that you think would be inspired by going to the Canucks game and you know, we'll see about giving some of those out as well. I'm going to talk to you about uh, some of my work in the prisons and what I learned this week. And, but one of the most important things I think in life is exercise. I think it helps mood, sleep, your sex life, everything, your blood flow, your weight. And so I came across some interesting research, and I'm honored to have the next guest who is going to be joining me in the studio, Mark Duncan, from the School of Kinesiology at UBC. And we are going to talk about some great research around walking and your iPhone. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Well, you know what this next segment is about, and I am delighted to have Mark Duncan in the studio with me. He's a PhD student interested in exercise, maybe just a little bit more than I am. Welcome to the studio, Mark. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So you're, the title of your research, Walk This Way, very important aspect of life, very important for people who suffer from depression. In fact, it's now included in the updated guidelines uh, for treatment of depression. People don't realize just how beneficial it is. But you did some interesting research um, validating the evidence of iPhone health application step count in the laboratory and under free living conditions. Can you tell me a little bit about that, please? Yeah, so we, in in our research area, we've been really interested in how people have really adopted these physical activity trackers, you know, whether it's on their phones or wearable trackers on their wrists, like Fitbits or various smartwatches. Uh, and this, for researchers, is a really exciting time because we can get objective measures of physical activity from these devices. 
Now, the only problem with that is we need to know how accurate they are in order to make some kind of you know, valid conclusion from the research that we do. So this is very much a first step in identifying whether, whether the step counts we generate from our iPhones are, are accurate and whether we as researchers or clinicians can, can use that with uh, any kind of you know, confidence going forward. And what did you find out? So in the laboratory test, uh, where we had people walking at standardized speeds on a treadmill for a minute at each of the, the different speeds, we found that uh, the iPhone tracks steps relatively well. Uh, it missed only about 5% of steps at speeds 5 kilometers and above. And a 5-kilometer-an-hour walk is about what Google or Apple Maps estimates when you're punching in, you know, I want to walk to this place, how long is it going to take me? So it uses that as an estimate. Um, but at slower speeds, we looked at 2.5 kilometers an hour, and that's where it kind of dropped down to about 9%. So maybe the iPhone is not as good at detecting that, that slower walking speed, which is actually something we see in, in standard pedometers that, that you might use on a, on a daily basis. So we found that to be fairly acceptable. And a little bit more high-intensity exercise is probably better for you anyway. Is that associated with a bit of a longer life and... Yeah, I mean, the recommendations for, for the average Canadian is to get 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity. So anything sort of over that five kilometers an hour is probably going to put you into that sort of moderate intensity range. We like to say if it, it makes you breathe a little bit harder or makes you sweat a little bit, then it's at least moderate. And so you're working towards that 150 minutes per week. Mm -hmm. And something I thought was interesting was people don't always have their phones with them. So that altered the number of steps that were calculated as well. So when they go to the bathroom or when they go to answer the door or whatever, um, they're, so they're not, it's not 100% accuracy in part because it's not with them. It's not attached to their hip as we think it always is. Yeah. So the while the iPhone functioned really well in a lab condition, we obviously don't spend our lives walking on a treadmill at a consistent speed. So what this research really added to the literature was looking at a free living condition where we had a research grade uh, physical activity tracker that people wore on their waist as well as recording their steps that the that the iPhone counted and then compared that. And there we saw a bigger gap between what the iPhone counted and what our research-grade accelerometer counted. It was about 1,000 steps or about 20% per day that was, that was missed by the iPhone. Which, can that be significant? Is that considered uh, statistically significant or something for people to consider or clinicians? Well, I think it's something more for researchers to consider mm -hmm. about, especially if you're trying to create some kind of guideline about the, the number of steps that you're supposed to accumulate. Most people are aware of this sort of 10,000 step recommendation that, that is sort of out there as the number of steps you should accumulate per day. There's some, uh, some controversy. It's very minor controversy, but generally speaking, more steps are going to be better for you throughout the day. And, and why 10,000 steps? What, what, how does that benefit people? I, I think it's more of, more of just a goal. My actual recommendation, especially based on these uh, activity trackers and seeing what the, uh, the profile is for, for the accuracy, I'd say to look more towards looking what you did over the previous week and trying to improve on that on a daily basis. And if you happen to reach 10,000 steps, great. If you're already there, great. Still try and add more steps throughout and your you day. You think you should go to 12,000 the next week and yeah. 15,000. Is there a max? I mean, you only have so many hours in a day. You do, I know. <laughs> um, that's true. Uh, but it's great research. And also walking and, and exercise, you also do some mental health 
research, severe mental health uh, research. And so walking is, is very beneficial for people with depression. Yeah, so we're, our, our laboratory, our, our collective work group is really interested in light physical activity and reducing the amount of time you spend sitting and sedentary throughout the day. So we do a lot of work in trying to increase, yeah, increase standing time, increase taking walking breaks and walking meetings at work uh, in the idea that all of this can contribute to overall physical activity and better health, whether it's physical or mental and that's just an, it could be a potential added bonus on top of that 150 minutes of more moderate or vigorous physical activity. That's excellent. It's fabulous work that you do, Mark. I'm really grateful that you came in to share this work. And I'd love to have you back to talk a little bit more about uh, severe mental illness as well. Abs- absolutely. A, We'd love to be back. Yeah, that has a big impact on relationships, of course, which we talk a lot about on this show. So that's Mark Duncan, School of Kinesiology at the University of British Columbia. And I am Maureen McGrath the host of the show. And uh, when I come back, we're going to be talking to Dr. John Weisler. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath here hosting this program for you. I have one of my favorite guests in the studio tonight, Dr. John Weisler. If you have any questions for the doctor at all, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. The lines are open. Uh, we are going to talk about a lot tonight. We have some interesting research about women, which is um, always interesting, I find, because there, as it turns out there may be a gender bias that is killing young women, and Dr. Weisler is here in the studio to talk about that. We're also going to be talking about angioplasty and stents, and uh, are they worth it? Is it... Is it doing more harm than good? And uh, also going to be talking about his heart function clinic as well. Heart disease is the number one killer of men and women. But we're going to start with the women. Dr. Weisler, thanks so much for joining me. Dr. Weisler, as you know, is the head of the North Shore Heart Function Clinic. He's a cardiologist who works out of Lionsgate Hospital. He works with all of our sports teams uh, here and uh, keeping them healthy as well. Uh, so thanks so much for coming into the studio at this busy time of year. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Maureen. It's uh, great to be here, as always. Uh, the holiday season, it's tough, so I appreciate it's your... It's a busy uh, time. It, it certainly is, but education is is so important for people to That's stay right. healthy. It's important to try and uh, make it through this busy time and look after ourselves and it, stay healthy. Self-care is huge, yeah. getting in that exercise, eating properly, not drinking too much, behaving yourself at absolutely. the office Christmas party. That's right. That was a great <laughs> segment you did on the last... That's a great, great point. Absolutely. That is, and so... It's, it's still not too late to recover from the last Christmas party where you made a complete fool of yourself. Um, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about medicine's gender bias and is it killing young women? There's a recent study that suggested that younger women who have heart attacks may hesitate to get help because they're afraid of being labeled hypochondriacs. Imagine that. But the bigger problem is just how justified that fear really is. As I said, heart disease is the number one killer of both men and women. So, but, but heart disease has long been considered a man's disease. They've cornered the market on that. But Yep, there's still that, uh, 
there's still a perception out there that it's more common in men than in women, which is false. You know, men men tend to get it at an earlier age, and uh, compared to women, men are more likely to have the classic, you know, the the textbook symptoms of you know crushing chest pain, and w- women can get all those that symptom too. But the women are more likely to have you know more unusual or atypical symptoms, so nausea, sweating. Uh, feeling lightheaded as as a sign of heart disease, and so this this gender- and that can just mean they're in love too, right? Well, so it's difficult the differential it, diagnosis. It can. There's a long list of different things. <laughs> However, that can there's cause the it. fatigue. Yep, fatigue overwhelming is fatigue one. is a big one, yep. right? A sudden overwhelming fatigue with no clear reason, and you know comes on suddenly. There's no other explanation. And and this bias that we that we're we're speaking about it was recently you know brought to light in a couple articles and it's it's been well documented. Women first of there's there's one that we've spoken about before where women tend to not recognize symptoms in themselves, so they might try to push it off to nothing, or they're so busy you know looking after their family and they don't have time to have a heart attack and they ignore their symptoms until it until damage is done. And so that's part of it. But the other part that this article we discussed brings up is that you know as medicine as as physicians and as health Healthcare providers, we may tend to um, not recognize heart disease in women, mislabeling women with uh, you know with having anxiety or or psychological um, you know disease or something when their symptoms actually are from their heart. And so uh, and and there's data to show that you know women when they come to the emergency room they take longer to get. Um, the standard sort of tests that we would do, we do on people with heart disease, you know, hopefully on both men and women, and women take longer to get them. So say a EKG or a, a electrical tracing of your heart when, when women come in with symptoms because um, physicians don't think of heart disease as quickly in women as they might in men. So it's- Interesting. And I wonder if we have a triage system here in the emergency departments mm-hmm. in Canada, and I wonder if when women come in, it would be interesting to see if they come in and say they have chest pain. But, mm-hmm. you know, women also do a little bit more self-diagnosis and they might they say, I, I have gastrointestinal upset or mm-hmm. um, GI upset, or they might say I have a hiatus hernia, or they may already give the diagnosis mm-hmm. because it does say in the emergency department, if you have chest pain, tell the triage nurse mm-hmm. immediately. And, you know, I've thought of that to try to step ahead of the line mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> myself, but mm-hmm. um, but it would be interesting to see if they let the men in faster than they let the women in uh, after both have declared chest pain. Uh, it would. I, I think, you know, I think... Um I think everybody involved uh, tries to do their best, you know, and, and um, you know, we, we doctors to some degree, I think we're, we're taught to sort of think of biases in our, in, our own, in, our own, in our own thinking, but how good are we at it? Hard to know, you know, and, and hard, to, hard to be precise. And we're also trained to, you know, look past somebody's self-diagnosis and to think, well, are they right and what's the evidence for that? But it, it can be, you know, challenging when you're busy and you're tired. You have a lot of patients, say, in the emergency coming up to that triage desk or, or something or you know you have to you have to remember each patient deserves your full attention and you have to you have to mentally sort of reset and and go through your thought process with each one of them and that is that is hard to do you know for sure absolutely and and I think a lot of women want to deny and I think this is the truth mm-hmm. with heart attacks as well denial is actually one of the symptoms it's a huge problem yeah for sure for sure. And I think women will, they don't want something to be wrong with them. That's right. And, and it's embarrassing. I mean, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but for I've heard patients say it is embarrassing to have a particular type of medical condition. A lot of people don't understand that, mm-hmm. but especially heart disease mm-hmm. or have, having had a heart attack as a young woman, it's, it can be very embarrassing yep. for those patients. I think that's a, a great point because 
you know, a lot of women that I've seen that, that have had heart attacks when they're young, you know, so, so younger patients, they've sort of told me that, well, this is a man's disease, which of course it isn't, but that's their perception. Or right. I'm too young for this. Or they, they feel, I guess, um, stigmatized is the best word because, right. you know, we, we think of, you know, heart disease striking people who tend to be, you know, less active, overweight, maybe more risk factors, maybe lazy, maybe smoked. And, you know, while all those risk factors are important and, you know, the more you do, the more likely you are to get heart disease, heart disease can strike anyone. So you can be, you know, healthy and just have bad luck, bad genetics or something. It can still happen. But uh, absolutely denial or, you know, hoping it's nothing can play a role for sure. And I think in this world, this day and age in which we live where, you know, youth is uh, has never been more admired mm-hmm. than, than today. Mm-hmm. And there are so many ways for people to look younger with Botox mm-hmm. and fillers and, mm-hmm. you know, um, one of the, the, I was going to say hair dye, but that's been around for a long time, but the hair extensions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are just, you know, cool sculpting and, and all sorts of uh, uh, vaginal rejuvenation, you know, but this is something that makes people or women feel older. Yep, that's that's true, I think. And, and it's true, um, you know, it's true both, I think, on the part of patients themselves and also on the part of the providers or physicians and nurses who assess them. It's like, oh, you're young. It you know, it couldn't be your heart and things like that. And, and to some extent, you know, there's some validity because, you know, the, 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 one of the studies references that, you know, that young women are far more likely to actually have anxiety than they are to have heart disease. And that's true. Statistically, that's much more likely in some right. patients to be the cause of the problem. But you have to remember, and, you know, it's important to, you know, go through that cognitive process as a, as a physician when you're evaluating a patient and make sure that that's really what you're, what you're seeing. I see, um, you know, still a lot of young women in my practice who have uh, arrhythmias. There's there's a, a few, you know, every every month that I seem to see that, you know, they've had palpitations for years and they were reassured it was anxiety and probably well-intentioned, you know, um, you know, the doctors and everybody that sees them are busy and maybe their family tells them that. But then when you actually um, put them on a heart monitor, you find out they actually have a rhythm disturbance of their heart that, you know, you can treat and help them with. So right. it, it, is, it, is, it is a problem for sure. And it's important to be properly diagnosed so that you prevent other things like a stroke, for That's example. Right. So if somebody has a stroke. And treat symptoms and everything else. Exactly. Absolutely. And you mentioned the anxiety. I want to say that because um, I want to talk about that because I've heard that many people, especially women, would much rather have much more significant problems, much worse medical problems than anxiety. Mm-hmm. People don't want to be diagnosed with anxiety, yet it can be paralyzing for people. Mm-hmm. It can really negatively impact quality of life, especially for women. Yeah, it brings up the whole idea of, uh, you know, mental illness versus physical illness. And, you know, both are both are important, you know, that uh, that, uh, you know, um, you, you hear things all the time, people that are depressed or people that are have anxiety, they're told just to suck it up and get on with things. And, you know, the the the, the statement, you know, you'd never say that to somebody who broke their leg, oh, suck it up, you know, or somebody who had a heart attack, you'd probably be pretty understanding with them. And, right. and as you say, mental illness can be as disabling or even more so. You know, That's ab- right. Absolutely. And people can feel like they're weak, that if they have yeah. anxiety, uh, they have a weakness, and that's certainly not the case at all. Absolutely. And, and there, you know, there still is, unfortunately, stigma in mental illness and, and cardiac disease. And you know, there are, we have so many stigmas uh, in healthcare that it, you know, it's such a shame. But, mm-hmm. but uh, thanks for the great work you do. I'm glad you're going to stay in the studio because we're going to be talking about uh, a treatment that a lot of people have had, uh, which is angioplasty. I, I remember, uh, you know, down. I don't know if you know this, but going to the beaches of Florida, you know, the the chest, <laughs> the um, surgery, the chest open. Yep, the, the uh, scar. Yep. The scar yep. down the front. All of the uh, 
parents' friends anyway, have uh, those scars down on the beaches in Florida. So what's that about? And what, was it worth it for them to... <laughs> I didn't know that was true of Florida, but that's good. good to know. It's so true, let me tell you. Anyway, I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I have Dr. John Weisler in the studio with me, cardiologist and uh, head of the North Shore Heart Function Clinic. We are talking now about a new study, a study called the Orbita study that actually, it is actually called the Objective Randomized Blinded Investigation with Optimal Medical Therapy of Angioplasty in Stable Angina. And so in this study, the investigators used careful scientific blinding of their patients and their and subsequent healthcare staff so that the investigators could determine exactly how much difference coronary angioplasty made to the symptoms and blood supply to the heart in their patients. There was a six-week blinded phase, and then the patients were unblinded. Some had undergone a sham procedure, and so the results were interesting. Tell me a little bit about the results, Dr. Weisler. Yeah, so this was a a really interesting trial because you know, we, we've had this idea that, you know, so a stent for your, for your listeners, if, you, if you've got a blocked artery in your heart, you know, used to need bypass surgery, back to the Florida talk before the, before the break. Right. And, uh, and stenting and angioplasty has really transformed how we, st- we treat patients. So a little needle puncture, either in your groin or in your wrist, and then the doctor, who's a specially trained cardiologist, can uh, thread little tubes through to your heart and in, open the, the blockage by inflating a balloon. And then they leave behind a metal coil, which is called a stent, and that holds the, the artery open, basically. And, uh, the, and pers- the purpose of the stent is? It generally, so we thought, and generally, for it's to, it's to make people feel better. So it's different if you get it in the time of a heart attack, but we, we use it a lot for patients with what we call stable angina. So they walk around, they get chest pain if they walk too fast because their artery is blocked. And so, you know, I remember one patient uh, a few years ago, he, he asked me to send him for a stent, and his phrase was, Doc, I don't want any medications. I just want you to send me for an angioplasty and bomb it open with a stent, you know, he had this big smirk <laughs> on his face, and uh, and uh, he still had to take a couple of medications, but he, we sent him, and he, he had a great result, and he's he's alive and well and and free from symptoms. So this was a really interesting trial because it, it looked at. They looked at patients with a one blocked artery, um, so at least seventy percent blocked or more, which is sort of our generally accepted, you know, threshold. Seventy percent blockage or more is enough to give us symptoms and cause us chest pain. And, they, they, and as you said, about two hundred patients randomized to either have the stent or just undergo like a procedure that they didn't actually open the artery, so a sham procedure. And then uh, and then they looked at patients uh, and and looked at them in follow up, and they found no difference in terms of how much exercise people could do or their freedom from anginal symptoms, so freedom from chest pain. So there is no difference. So the the angioplasty was as good as placebo. And so, how about blood flow? Were they able to mention, and, and uh, so to measure blood flow to the heart? Most measures of blood flow didn't change. There were one or two that were a bit better with uh, with the stenting, which I guess you'd hopefully expect, but a lot of other measures didn't change and the overall, you know, freedom from symptoms didn't change. And so we see all these, you know, these these comments like angioplasty is a waste of time and, you know, is this is this a totally uh, worthless procedure and things like that. So it, it's caused a lot of controversy and, and a lot of people, you know, uh, patients and, and people wondering, you know, um, are we doing the right thing and is this procedure really useful? How did this happen? Right. And so uh, what... How could this possibly come out this way? Is there a placebo effect? Is my first question, which might be a ridiculous. So, I mean, so I mean, I think, I think yes. I mean, I mean, the placebo effect is well documented in mm-hmm. a lot of different areas in medicine, either with 
either with procedures or with medications. So you can you can show just by telling somebody you're putting them on a pill, they can feel better, you know, up to 30% improvement in symptoms, both with chest pain and with a number of other things. And you see it with procedures too. So it's not really, I think, a surprise that we have a placebo effect with, um, with angioplasty and, and stenting as well. And is there anything else to account for it? So, I mean, I think this, this trial was interesting. And I think, um, you know, a, a lot of people, I mean, hate taking medications and, right. uh, and most of my patients, you know, not, not one more pill, you know, doc. And, and, you know, the, the way, um, the way, uh, I've sometimes done this, maybe right, maybe wrong is younger patients. I've tend to be more likely to send for angioplasty so they don't have to take medications that can relieve pain, you know, for the rest of their life. Older patients, I might think of, you know, medications a bit sooner, maybe the risk of the procedure is a little bit higher, although it's still low risk. Although, you know, you could criticize me there and say that, you know, older people are often on more medication. So are they going to want more? Probably not. And they might be in better shape than some of the younger people. They a might. lot of people today are, you they know. Might. So they might. So with, with this trial, you know, the, the, it's important to note, I think, that the baseline group of patients were well treated medically. So medications do work, even though we sometimes hate taking them, but they are very effective. So medications do work well. So both groups of patients in the trial, you know, were on excellent medications that can relieve chest pain. And then both groups in the trial were actually, if you look at the results, they were both actually pretty healthy. They could do a lot of exercise at baseline, you right. know, and, 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 and they mentioned like, um, in, in the, before, before getting the, getting the procedure that they could do more than eight minutes on a stress test, which is pretty good, you know, for most people who can't do that. So then they're already a low risk group. So it's hard to show a benefit. So, so that would be a bit of a flaw in yeah, the study. Those of us that, you know, so I, I think this is an interesting trial. And for me, this sort of, you know, reassures me that, you know, if I, just treat people with medications and I don't send them for an angiogram. I'm not doing them a, a disservice. You know, medications are effective and they can work really well. But I think for sicker patients, I think that angioplasty and stenting, I think it's, you know, it may still have a role. And I don't think this trial, you know, really truly answers the question, even though it's generated a lot of uh, a lot of headline, a lot of press. Uh, it certainly has. Um, and uh, so just getting back to when people have heart disease, and we were talking about mm-hmm. heart attacks in women earlier, you must get the question, when can I have sex, doc? Mm-hmm. Must, yeah. <laughs> must be your favorite it, question. It does, it does come up a lot. And, you know, and, and, uh, and, and of course, it's, it's so important for so many people. So, you know, the, generally the, the answer that I tend to give is somewhere between two and four weeks if you're stable after your, after your heart attack. You're not having chest pain. And, you know, I, I usually um, I like people to wait until I can see them in clinic or until they can see their family physician in clinic, make sure that they've recovered from whatever procedures they've had and they're doing well on their medications. They're not having a lot of chest pain. The sort of the the general rule of thumb is that if you're not having chest pain with most of your daily activities, so you can walk up a flight of stairs, for example, you can do your housework, you're not getting chest pain, that you're usually safe enough to have sex. So between two to four weeks and check with your doctor is usually the the answer that I give. And and really, if they have a heart attack and and (laughs) fly Mm -hmm. the coop, well, at least they would do in some and they love, right? There you go. That's true. That's very true. Go Better than way. golf. That's right. No. That's right. Um, I have another question for you. You're, you're doing some great work out of your North Shore Heart Function Clinic well, with thank you. assessing the sports teams, like high school sports teams. And um, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, thanks, Maureen. So that's a, it's an ongoing effort uh, by myself and one of my partners. So I've had the privilege of working with the professional teams here in the in the city for several years, and we actually just started working with the Vancouver Stealth lacrosse team out in Langley. We did screening ECGs on them, but you know, exercise um, like uh, like Mark, uh, your previous guest was was mentioning, is so important for for so many people, and in general, the 
benefits of exercise are enormous. There's a tons of tons of benefits for your heart and your cardiac risk factors, your weight, and then for things like your joint and your mood and depression and everything else. And and how do we make it safe uh, as as safe for everybody? You know, from a from a heart uh, from a heart standpoint. My interest in this came about from you know you'd see the the odd video or the odd story of a young athlete in right. high school or college that died tragically while playing sports. That's very rare, you know, but it does happen. So we're, we're doing a, we're working on a screening program for people that want to enter um, athletics and, uh, and either both from high school and collegiate um, athletes and, and children and, and, and young adults, I guess, um, to older athletes as well. And, you know, the concerns are different in both groups and, you know, there, there's no perfect screening test, but there's mm-hmm. things we can do, stress testing, uh, ECGs, a review of your history, and in some cases we can do further testing to make sure that your risk is as low as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fantastic. That's great work. And how can people get in touch with you? Your website is? Yeah, so uh, my, my website is uh, jvcardio.com, so J, the letter J, letter V, and then cardio.com. There's more information there, and you can use a contact form or call our office uh, if you'd like to be screened or if you have any questions. Or if they want to get you guys out to um, do some screening on their athletes. The that's right. So we're we're uh, we're interested in partnering with um, high school and college teams, and so we're beginning an outreach um, uh, program to get in touch with schools and uh, both both you know make sure that they have things like a defibrillator, they have a response plan just in case, and Absolutely. hopefully never need it, yeah. and then more screening that we can do and make it available to as many people as possible. It's great work. You just so such great work. You're on social media. You're on Twitter. You're you've got a great website. It's a lot of you're, fun. Yeah, yeah. You do an amazing job. I don't know where you get the time in the day. You, Somebody must have given you an extra couple hours each day. Thank yep. you, Dr. John Weisler, for being Thanks, on the Maureen. program. And uh, have a lovely holiday season with your family. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.